Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade. I'm pleased to announce that we are now up on Gab.com. And you can therefore now submit your prayer intentions in more than one way. If you have a Gab, you can uh, submit them over there. Uh, it's just at the Daily Decade, the same uh, as it is on Telegram. I try to keep things nice and simple. Uh, and you'll see... Uh, that up over there. We're going to see if we can't get something off the ground over on Minds and uh, other platforms. We're looking around to see what other platforms we won't want to get on. Uh, but right now it's Telegram and Gab. Uh, I've heard things about Vcontacta, which is uh, apparently the Russian Facebook. Uh, I don't know how reliable that is, but it seems like certain people are present on there. It's difficult to say exactly where we'll be that all of our audience will also be. Uh, so we're, we're out there and trying to expand our audience to other places. And we'll keep opening things up. <laughs> I think I may need to get uh, a few more uh, people to help out with running all of the different things. But, uh, you know, it'll, it'll come in its own due time. The growth has been pretty spectacular, I have to say, in the past six months. And hopefully it will continue to, to be that way. Uh, if you're finding what we're doing here helpful, I encourage you to spread it around to other people. And of course, you or anyone who listens uh, and ends up listening can write in intentions to daily Decad requests. That's Decad, D-E-C-A-D-E, requests in the plural at protonmail.com. And now you can also find us at The Daily Decade on Gab.com. I don't have any intentions today, uh, so I, I want to continue to pray our intention for the healing of Holy Mother Church uh, and for the protection uh, of everyone who is fighting the good fight against heresy and error and infiltration and the destruction of the church by those who are deeply desirous to see our Christian lives disrupted. And we see that most obviously in the Roman Catholic Church, being Roman Catholic. <laughs> but there are those who also want to lead other people astray in other ways as well. We'll talk a little bit about that in the reflection today. But I want to pray for anyone who's working to and uphold orthodoxy with a little O against the heretics and against the modernists and against any infiltrators who are seeking actively or even unintentionally to do the devil's work. And of course we are praying for this very same thing in the exact words of the intention are for the healing of Holy Mother Church and for the conversion of the heretics who are permitted to afflict, torment, and persecute those loyal to her. Uh, that's the intention that we have with the Novena to Our Lady of Lourdes, which is ongoing. We are on our third day of the Novena today. And as I'm recording this, uh, we should have a post going up reminding everybody that uh, we're going to be praying it again tonight at Compline. And then you'll see something crop up uh, on, I'll make sure that something gets posted to the Telegram 
uh, page reminding everybody of what the actual prayer is, since this is one of those novenas where the prayers change every day. There's a prayer that's said every day, and then there's a prayer for each individual day as we go through the nine days up to February 10th. Compline on February 10th is when this ends, the day before the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. And I really do encourage you to participate in that. So let's go ahead and put ourselves in the presence of God and uh, turn our minds uh, to prayer for the healing of the Holy Mother Church and for the conversion of heretics and the destruction of the enemies of God. In nomine Patris, the Fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Celis, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in Celo et in Terra, panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis odiei, et dimidi nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimidibus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalum. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, Gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, 
et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et mora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et mora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patria, Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicur erat in principio, et nunc, et semper, et secula seculorum. Amen. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordia, Vita Lucero et Spes Nostri, Salve. A te clamamos, exulis filia evi, a te suspiramos, gementes et flentes, in hoc lac romanum vale. Ea ergo, advocata nostrum, iros tuos misericordes oculos ad nos converte. Et Jesum, beatum fructum ventris tui, nobis postum exilium ostende, o clemens, Ora pro nobis, Sancta Dei Genetris, ut dignis officiamur promissionibus Christi. Oremus. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Well, we are drawing ever closer to Sexagesima Sunday, which is the second of the three preparatory Sundays leading up to Lent. And Ash Wednesday will be on the 17th this year. I hope you all have your calendars marked and you're watching for it. Uh, you may also want to check around. I, I know for my own part, I save uh, palms, blessed palms, every year. And I do know there's a lot of churches because of the way Palm Sunday was last year, we we don't often think about this, but really our our ecclesiastical year has a deep impact on everything that comes after it. And last year, you'll recall, Palm Sunday was something of a disappointment uh, because of this cold that's going around and has turned the world on its head. Uh, and a, an awful lot of Palm Sundays were canceled. I think there were, I know of two that happened, and uh, that's of about two dozen churches that I have some personal contact with, either directly or indirectly through friends. So there is a shortage of palms, and especially because now, increasingly, you'll have some churches that don't do palms, they do pussy willows instead. There's a couple of churches that I know of that do that. Most of them are Eastern, but they, there's, there's quite a few of them. So, needless to say, we have a shortage. If we have a shortage of palms, then inevitably there's also a shortage of ash. 
since the palms are burned, and then use the following year, connecting one, uh, connecting the passion, the beginning of the passion, with our penitence and the season of penitence leading up to it. And because the sacrifice is eternal and repeating, then inevitably that connection is maintained. If there's a year where there's very little palms, there's going to be very little ash. And with the new method of ashing that has been introduced by uh, the Vatican in some places, I know there are some who are probably not going to, but there are most places will be doing the new, the, the, the sprinkle rather than the uh, impression of ashes on the forehead. Uh, the adoption of that method means they need more ash. So if you have palms lying around and you've saved them for a little while, I, I have plenty of palm crosses, uh, if you have them, your church may be looking for them to try to produce enough ash to get them through Ash Wednesday. Um, you may want to speak with your priest about bringing those in and um, having them reduced to ash so that they can make up the difference this year. And the worst thing that could possibly happen is that they have to mix. And I know there will be some churches that do this. We'll have to mix uh, mundane ashes in with the, with the blessed palms. So just a thought. I also was doing a little bit of reading in case you're interested in where all this comes from. I, I had been doing a little bit of reading on where this impression of ashes on the forehead comes from. And the, the people that are gung-ho for Francis's change, uh, well, look, I know, he calls himself Francis, so that's how he identifies, I'll recognize how he wants to identify for those of you, I think in the past I've gone back and forth on this one. Bergoglio and Francis, but whatever the case may be. Vigano says Bergoglio, that's good enough for me, so I suppose I should call him that. Whatever the case may be, this new order has actually does have some precedence. The people who are uh, shouting the most in favor of it uh, say the rest of the world has done it this way forever, and it's just Americans complaining, and that's not actually true. The impression of ashes on the forehead has a great deal of antiquity, but apparently it was the way, the typical way, for women to receive ashes because, of course, women have to cover their heads, uh, and the distribution of ashes on uh, in by sprinkling them on the veil, it's not you don't get quite the same effect. You know, it's not really covering yourself in sackcloth and ashes. And so the impression of the ashes on the forehead was a way to solve this problem with women. So they would receive their ashes, but the ashes would not be sprinkled on their veils or on their um, headscarves. Men, of course, continued to receive them on the top of the head until, I want to say, in the 1950s or 1960s, right before the Second Vatican Council, is when they started actually impressing ashes on men's heads as well. So uh, what we're sort of turning to here, the return to a masculine way of receiving the ashes, sort of reinforces the fact that women don't cover their heads anymore, which therein resides a major problem. But the reception of the ashes as a sprinkling is not new, that is, that is old, and even in the United States uh, was practiced for men up until about the 19th, middle of the 20th century. 
just a little tidbit of information in case you're interested. Well, enough of that blather. On, onward to what I really wanted to talk about today, which is a theme that I have returned to on multiple occasions, but is probably worth returning to now more than ever as we're entering into the penitential season of Lent, which is hatred. I want to talk about hatred. It is typical of anyone who has any kind of training in presenting the faith and doing apologetics to talk about, well, really anyone today, to talk about what a terrible thing hatred is, how unchristian it is to hate. Uh, and I want to contradict that. I have in the past and continue to. Scripturally speaking, we are called by God to hate. We must. Because where there is no hate, there likewise can be no love. Now, this has become something of a platitude now. That you, well, you love what you love, and in order to love what you love, you hate what threatens what you love. That's not quite what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about human hatred. But the scripture tells us that we are called to hate the enemies of God. Have I not hated thine enemies? I have hated them with perfect hatred, is the passage from the psalm. Perfect hatred. What an interesting idea, that we should hate with perfect hatred. And this is a subject too little touched upon, I've found, in a lot of sources out there, sermons, uh, commentaries, what have you. Very little in, the, in this day and age is the subject of hating with perfect hatred touched upon, and what perfect hatred means. Well, if you don't understand what perfect hatred is, you cannot understand what perfect love is. And since our faith is perfect love, that means we all have, all of us who don't understand perfect hatred, have a, a very great gap in our catechetical knowledge regarding our own faith. To hate with perfect hatred is to hate with the divine hatred. God hates. He must. Hatred is a necessary distance. It is an abhorrence, a con not, not a contempt, but an abhorrence of the thing which is hated. It's easy to spit anger at something. You don't necessarily hate everything you spit anger at, and rage and wrath and all those things. They have an attachment to hate, but it's not quite the same thing. The sort of spitting rage that people associate with hate is really a very human thing. That's uh, deeply rooted in our own misunderstanding of, our, of how to be morally angry, to be righteously angry. We spit hatred. And in that regard, that is a, something to be avoided because it's so deeply passionate. Perfect hatred, rather like perfect love, by itself, is really a rather cold thing. You know, Bishop Sanborn is very fond of saying that, uh, that love by itself is cold as ice. It is merely willing the good for another, and the will is a cold thing. Love, therefore, by itself is a cold thing. It requires piety in order to bring warmth to love. And I know Bishop Sanborn's a set of a cant, 
scientist, but he's technically a set of probationists. But I nevertheless encourage you to take a look at a couple of his sermons on the subject. They are very clarifying. Hatred is the same thing. A perfect hatred, unlike love, which is perfected in the presence of piety with the warmth of love, perfect hatred is a cold hatred. It is outgrowth or result of willing the good for another. To will the good for another means necessarily also to will the avoidance of evil or harm. Uh, Avoidance of harm insofar as that harm will not bring about good. People suffer and they grow in their faith as a result of that. To love someone means that you desire to see them grow from their suffering suffering is inevitable. You don't have to desire for people to suffer. Everybody suffers regardless of whether you want it or not. To love is to desire good to come from that suffering because you will the good for another. To hate perfectly is to desire the destruction of all of those things which bring about harm to another, to draw them, which draw them away from the good. And therefore we are called on to hate in particular the enemies of God, the devil and his minions, who seek to undermine his grace, to offend him, and to mock and deride him through undermining the goodness and salvation of his creation. We know that God has a unique love for us, and that's the reason why he became man. God didn't come down to earth and become a gazelle, didn't come down to earth and become an elephant, he came down to earth and became a man. That incarnation indicates a unique love that the creator of heaven and earth has for this crown of his creation, which is mankind. That which destroys mankind uproots it. That which uh, cuts off access to the Almighty. Those things are things to be hated. To hate the enemies of God with perfect hatred. With a cold hatred that works actively to undo, undermine, and destroy everything that obstructs man's access to God. Inevitably, that's not something that you can do with an imperfect understanding of God. That's why hating with perfect hatred is truly the realm of the saints. We, by achieving, by seeking sainthood and achieving higher levels of understanding and deepening our ties with God, drawing nearer to Him, we come to a greater and greater understanding of what it means to hate. St. Thomas Aquinas writes that uh, if you are not outraged or angry at immorality, this means that you do not have the sufficient appreciation for that evil uh, to be moral yourself. It is immoral not to be angry when a great immorality is committed. Because if you lack the anger, the outrage, what that really means is that you do not feel the hatred that God feels for evil. And so when we seek ourselves, we draw nearer to God in seeking this perfect hatred, inevitably we pass through various inferior forms and imperfect hatreds. But we should always be working towards the perfection of our hatred. 
so that we hate as God hates, coldly, not with the wrath and anger of man, but to feel a divine anger within us, uh, a divine outrage that seeks to end things like blasphemy, that seek to glorify God by blocking the great evils. And that's why it's appropriate, for example, to hate abortion. This is just, it's, it's a go-to example. It's a good, handy one, too. There is no element of, a, of an abortion that is not evil. It is, um, Father Rupertur has a talk when he talks about, he talks about music and he talks about the, um, uh, the integral good, or the integral principle, the good, something like that, where if you have something that's good all the way around, but there's one element of it that is corrupted and drives towards evil, that invalidates the entire thing. In St. Dionysius, the Areopagite, talks about this. That's where it's derived from. Abortion is one of these things, rather like sodomy and other crimes against nature, that has no good in it at all. It is completely evil. And therefore, it is one of these things which even those of us who have not developed the saintly sense that allows us to truly perfect our hatred as the great saints have, we can recognize the totality of the evil in this thing and hate it perfectly. Yeah, other things we hate imperfectly. We can still have imperfect hatred overall. But we can understand perfect hatred by, by cultivating in ourselves a hatred of evil things. And particularly the hatred of completely evil things. Inevitably, agents of evil, who perform evil, who encourage evil, who fuel evil's growth, they also, by association, must have some ancillary relationship to our hatred. Now, this doesn't mean it's a direct relationship. You don't, um, I don't hate Joe Biden, for example, as Joe Biden, right? But rather as someone who is uh, actively working towards his own damnation. If I love God in the fullness of, of loving God, then inevitably I must share with God his desire that no sinner die in sin, but that he be converted and live. And therefore, you can, your love and your hate must always be directed towards the divine love and the divine hate. What is it that you hate? You hate the agents of evil insofar as they are agents of evil. Insofar as they are humans, and in the case of Joe Biden, in the, he's a confessing Catholic, or he's self, self-proclaimed Catholic, that means that you know there's a strong potential there for genuine conversion. It's unlikely, but it's it's improbable, but it's not. It's very far from impossible. And again, this is just illustrating one example. There are much smaller cases as well. Much bigger cases too. But when we cultivate perfect hatred, what that means is that we cultivate 
a sense of greater love, a, a sense of greater identification of our own will with the will of God. And that's what makes it such a, such a dangerous and, and, and touchy thing. You, know? you can think that you have cultivated a perfect hatred, and in reality all you've cultivated is a passion, an ang a passion of wrath. And you can give yourself over to certain concupiscences under the delusion that uh, what you are doing is in the service of God. This spiritual delusion, there's a word for it in the East, it's called prelist. And it's a concept that I really wish would work its way into Western theology much more. It's important for all of us as Christians, especially coming into a season of repentance, when we are turning inwardly, when we are uh, renewing the inner crusade that all of us should be fighting against the Saracen of the heart to drive him from the holy places and restore Christ to his throne to protect the spiritual impulses these pilgrims that make their way to the temple of the Holy Ghost within us from our minds and our will from our intellect and our will we are called upon to make of our will and our intellect interior Templars to protect these spiritual impulses like pilgrims, to, cult to become hospitalers, to care for and give protection to those graces, to cultivate the graces that we receive. We are called on to be great crusaders within our inner life goal of the Crusaders was to bring about unity of the faith and destruction of the enemies of God. And we have to begin within ourselves, and there's no better time to do that than Lent. So right now is the perfect time to begin to learn and to cultivate perfect hatred, and to begin by turning that inward, to do violence upon the enemies of God that dwell within your own heart. It's one of the things that Bishop Sheen said. He said two things that are relevant here. The first one is that our country is said to be suffering from intolerance. It is not. It is suffering from an excess of tolerance. And we tolerate too much in ourselves. That's, that last bit is me, not Bishop Sheen. We, we tolerate too much in ourselves. And the other thing, he was asked, if I was asked what I felt religion was lacking today, I would say violence. We have altogether too little a sense of violence. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of violence, and only the violence shall conquer it. That's the crusade, the inner crusade. My prayer is for all of us, therefore take up the weapons of the inner crusade and to conquer by violence the citadels of our own concupiscence to turn our hatred inward and to cultivate the perfect hatred of God and in so doing to grow in our love for God to make ourselves and our hearts fitting temple, temples 
where he is to be praised and glorified, fitting thrones where he may be seated, that he might direct all elements of our lives, that we may enjoy with him the final triumph of his kingdom within ourselves, within the church, within all of creation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.